0: Crow talk. Crow talk. Crow talk. Film squawk.
1: Nomadland, directed and written for the screen by Chloe Zhao, 2020. After the loss of her home and her husband, a woman finds refuge in her camper van as she journeys back and forth across the Western United States. Greetings from our homes to yours. Whether you're new to Crow talk or a seasoned listener. You're joining us during a singular time in 21st century history. As you're critically aware, coronavirus has rerouted normal life, tipping everything expected on its head. This podcast is no exception. Instead of recording season three episodes from our studio at Western Washington University, we will be podcasting from our couches and remote workstations. We will use headphones with tiny microphones as dogs bark outside and our partners quietly bring us tea. Just as the quality of our production must shift, so has the dynamic of film viewing. So, welcome to our season three series, streaming in the time of COVID, where we will reflect on the experience of viewing, share yeas and nays, squawk our opinions, and consider takeaways, things we want to remember moving forward about this film, or film in general. After the recording of this podcast, Stacy, Cassidy and I became aware of our massive fail in the pronunciation of Zhao's name. We apologize for our ignorance and promise to make a greater effort for accuracy in all future work. Do either of you remember the exact first day you were required to stay home for COVID? We're coming up on the 1-year anniversary and it's hot on my mind. Hot on my mind. I think mine is like a week out still. What about yours? Ours
2: was 2 days ago. It was the last day of our lives before COVID which was the just, at least for me, I don't know, Stacey, if you like left your house much that next week, but the just like the min premiere happened on the 8th. I
0: think mine was the 12th. For some reason, I'm getting the 12th in my mind as the last day. So I think the premiere happened. And then I probably went to the grocery store one more time? Question mark?
2: Well, and the premiere was on a Sunday, right? Yeah, the premiere was on Sunday the 8th. And then That next Monday, we took a week staycation, if you can fucking believe it. (laughs) Like I did puzzles.
1: I remember. Oh, my God. I completely forgot. You guys are like, we owe it to ourselves to have some time at home.
2: To just stay at home a little. So that's why, for me at least, the eighth feels like it was the last day of the real world because then I was like, I'll just go, like I don't know, wear some sweats for a week and like do a puzzle and like, jeez Louise,
1: get it in, you know, get it in before life really ramps back up. Get my time at home in. So then, yeah, it was a week after that because the Friday following our premiere, our closed premiere. I was told not to come back on Monday.
2: Wow. Was it Friday the 13th too? I think it may have been a Friday the 13th. <laughs> that
1: takes a cake. The I world have no was idea. just like
2: <laughs> middle
1: fingers. So a year. It's been a year because today's the 10th for all you listeners out there getting this goodness at the end of the month. We, uh, we're we feeling that year mark. I'm definitely feeling that year mark. I don't know what I'm feeling anymore. We've been so fortunate to have ZenCaster at home. And the quality has ebbed and flowed. <laughs> yeah. Upgrade. And so, as much as you didn't anticipate having a prolonged week staycation, Cassidy Stacy, the film that we're going to get to discuss today, Nomad Land, tips on its head in its own way, living and healing and journeying through life uh, in an alternative capacity for, for a myriad of reasons. And so I'm pretty excited. There probably isn't a better time to to revel at the juxtaposition of the content and the, the subject matter of this film. So yays and nays, specifically yays for this stunning Golden Globe winning film.
2: My yay is just how rich and authentic the human experience was depicted, especially the American human experience.
1: And as I've learned
2: to appreciate from Zhao,
1: specifically from her 2017 film, The Writer, is just the capacity of real life emotion and experience, intentionally selected non-actors, what they can bring the richness that they can bring to a film uh, that is, again and again, an aspect of filmmaking that always startles me and delights me at the same time. There are other filmmakers who have done this well, but I think that Chloe does it in a totally different way. Uh, and I just, it makes me want more and more and more. It's its narrative documentary. It's fictionalized
2: truth my nay is weak feeling in comparison to yours Stacey and it's not even really a nay I just was like well this could be hard for some people (laughs) and that's just that the theme is grief and I feel like it could be a movie that like really affects people for like days after it could be one of those films I have a couple members in my family that films will affect that way they'll just like rip them to their core so I feel like for certain viewers, this could be that film for you. Just one that like makes you feel sad for a while. Compared to capitalism? <laughs> I do.
1: And I mean, mine is nitpicky. So, and it's probably pretty unfair because Joshua James Richards, the cinematographer, director of photography for this film, did incredible work. Was stunning, so beautiful, and one or maybe three of those stunning, beautiful medium close-up shots of Fern being contemplative was just slightly too much for me. I, I got a lot of of the Fern face, uh, <laughs> and I, I didn't need quite that many, though they were all beautiful. and Francis is fantastic, and ultimately. I think it just it changed the pacing for me a little bit uh, in some moments, and for me, it, it stuck out. It, it occurred to me, which is a nitpicky nay, you know. It pulled me out. I'm like, oh, there's Fern again, <laughs> thinking, <laughs> thinking, and looking, looking out at that sunset, you know, or looking at rocks, 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 rocks. So uh, that's my nitpicky uh, nay. <gasps> So the film opens up with text copy January 31st, 2011. Due to a reduced demand for sheetrock, U.S. gypsum shut down its plant in Empire, Nevada after 88 years. By July, the Empire zip code 89405 was discontinued. Right out the gate, thoughts on turning uh, nonfiction into fiction.
0: I think it's really effective because she uses the fictional element so sparingly but so intentionally, and they just heightened the truth. They focused the truth for me. I think it's brilliant what she does.
1: Yeah, I agree. I like to say that there's no such thing as nonfiction. (laughs) Uh, And I I believe that this is a great illustration of that. That when you're telling universal human empathy stories, uh, like Cassidy said, dealing with such enormous grief. And you're watching someone process grief in an unfamiliar way. And getting to learn at the same time what a beautiful marriage of what we consider to be
2: nonfiction and and, and fiction. It was interesting to learn about how Chloe Zhao did that. And the woman that played, or Linda May, said in a Vulture interview excerpt that basically Zhao would just ask her to tell a story from her life and she would tell the story like one time and they would do it on camera obviously and she was worried at first that Chloe Zhao would make her tell it like over and over again but they hardly reshot anything.
1: Wow I wondered about the framing of those what felt like pseudo interviews when you lifted out of the cinematic moment and sort of looked at the shot itself and you wondered, you know, where Francis was at because so often these conversations were in, were in concert with Fern. Right. And so then there are some where she's in the frame, but there are many that just cut away to her with the angles aligned. And, and you're wondering, was Francis McDormand even there during this particular quote unquote interview? And it didn't distract me. It just, it made it feel so authentic
2: and you're saying that it was it was yeah i think most times it was and Zhao also talked about in a different interview i think i heard in an icons interview she did so she talked about when she was casting brady in her 2017 film the writer she had to consider a lot more of putting him on screen because he was her lead character so there was more to consider there but a lot of times with small characters there she like doesn't really consider acting ability Most of the time she was like, as long as they don't like make eye contact a ton with the camera, they're fine. And I thought that was really interesting that she had like weighted consideration, you know, where a lot of times it's just like, they're in the moment and she needs someone who's working at a hardware store. So she gets someone who's working at a hardware store. And as long as they don't make eye contact with the camera, they give an amazing performance. And apparently she only makes them do like one or two takes. Because she just asks them to be themselves. Yeah. And she talks about like developing trust, you know, and I'm sure that is also like weighted depending on like the trust that her and Brady had was immense. I'm sure in comparison to, you know, kind of a side role, but uh, because yeah, she had, she talks about how you have to like get to know these people as humans and that's her biggest goal in all of her filmmaking she talks about is just trying to overcome race and politics because that's been a big criticism she's received too on this film is it's super political but she like doesn't go there with like reservation living or you know being a part of a marginalized group Um, and she doesn't really go there but her whole point as a filmmaker is that she's trying to get past that to the human element you know like if you're dealing with a teenager what do teenagers care about? They care about relationships and, you know, things that are going on in their lives. They don't necessarily care so much about being like the Native American representation in a film. Right. Or whatever the example would be there. But I thought that was really beautiful and something that I could so feel watching Nomadland. Like you can just feel like I, you feel like you were literally on a road trip, like meeting these people and connecting with them face to face almost. She's just a
0: magical observer. And I imagine that she's just one of those personalities where you can get really close really quickly. There's just those people out there that you can instantly exhale with, you know, and it happens totally. so quickly.
1: Well, and it sounds like... Uh... A significant foundation was laid in the, some of the relationships with the non-actors like Bob Wells through Jessica Bruder, the author of Nomadland, Surviving America in the 21st Century, who spent a lot of time with Bob and and worked to understand his journey uh, and and now his mission and his cause, which, of course, we get a decent introduction to in this film. Uh, and then we also get the personal side of him. We get more of the the leader and then the human. And I really appreciated having a bit more uh, time with Bob. I loved having the, t- the time we got to spend with Swanky felt really priceless. And, and I'm saying these things because and they're sticking out to me. Linda May, these characters who are just humans, you know, because it's not, it doesn't feel like these one-off moments, you know, it's maybe she's not giving herself enough credit for selecting people who have an accessibility that really resonates on screen. Or maybe she just has an eye for finding those people because, you know, it's not just, you know, a passing individual who speaks for a little while. It's a a developed character who has their own arc to a degree. Each of them did, it felt like to me in, in this story. And that's so special. Well, that makes me think about the community
0: piece that's already inherent in this group that was so beautiful and so powerful for me viewing this film. I'm thinking about the many, I think, campfire scenes that we saw where people are sharing stories and, you know, that connection piece is really, I think, vital for their mental health, for their survival. And so you have this group of people that are already willing to go there and and connect and that translated so well from a producing standpoint. That's brilliant. Here are these non-actors, but they're they're so already open because they have to be because their worlds that they travel around in is is so small on on so in so many ways.
2: And I feel like a lot of them have gone through like personal trauma, and so they're already like cracked open humans, you know, that are just like needing to share on a deep. Level Like, I thought it was really effective in the film when Frances McDormand, when Fern went back and stayed with her sister and the types of conversations that they were having and just that immediate suffocation Mm -hmm. feeling. And for her, it's not enough. Those types of shallow conversations about capitalism aren't enough for her. You know, she's craving something as rich as the trauma she's gone through. Because she's looking to find herself and she can't find herself in this like shallow box that is her sister's house that is a lot of our existence is people that are like, you know, doing okay, okay, and like living stationary lives. And I thought that was a very intriguing component of that entire world in that community. It's just how raw they would be with one another off the bat,
1: which makes it even more impressive, though. There are so many political over and undertones that run throughout the film, in- including when she goes to stay with her sister. There's such a juxtaposition of identity and purpose and uh, drive. And there's judgment there, right, uh, across both aisles. And it just makes it even more exemplary that even in the middle of, I believe, what Bob called Republican country in his GQ interview, uh, discussing the filming and, and how they navigated certain conversations and what they were going to promote uh, and really focus on. You know, he specifically works to not share his political ideology since he has a, a very popular YouTube channel, and no matter what he says, it never goes well. And I think that would be the case here, too. It sounds like I, I, w- I read that China has had uh, a rough Response to potential past comments that may or may not have actually been said by Zhao. And the film's shiny title is No Land to Rely On, which is super mm. com- just like break that down, you know, like wow. tease that around for a little for a little while. But th- the release date, I believe, has been put on hold, or it's not it's not being published anymore just because of her idea. Potential identity with America as being American, and so there's there's just so much to comb through here, and I'm so thankful that we didn't have to comb through through it while we watched. It's something to think about later and to unpack later, but it wasn't. It didn't mire the authenticity of of just people being people, regardless of of political affiliation.
2: Yeah, and I think that's something again Zhao is trying to do, like. She talked about that, you know, she was like, if we start a discussion about politics with one another, we may or may not disagree, but we can both sit there and talk about like what we ate for lunch and connect. And that is what she is trying to do is just like get past these political stances that are like storytelling archetypes, really, Mm -hmm. you know, like tropes Mm -hmm. and not that they're unnecessary. They're very necessary still. And probably for a long time but I do like that concept of moving past it and I'm sure that's easier for me to say as a white woman but moving past it and getting to at the human ness of situations I mean even talking about like democrat republican you know that's like so true We may disagree on politics like hardcore but we could talk about the weather and, you know, both vibe off of that. Maybe if you're into talking about the weather. <laughs> <laughs> Who isn't Riveting into talking about topic. The <laughs> I mean, it's a big
0: deal. But, you know, she just being the observer that she is, I think that if politics had come up maybe in that group, that could have been something that she might have followed. But it wasn't even there. You know, I, I felt like it wasn't her not focusing on that. She was just being true, to what was around her you know so it was just so unburdened naturally
1: well there's a sense of removal and not in an ignorant way in like a very intentional I'm pursuing a mobile life kind of way and Bob also talked about how a lot of his friends spend a lot of time on the internet and there's lots of interaction they'll do caravans so there's plenty of of not cohabitation but in a way that neighboring type exchange uh, and there's not a cutoff from society uh, in the real sense of the word there's still very much a technological connection but there's a more holistic always touching the ground pursuit that I really I felt and appreciated from getting to become more familiar with each of their homes their their campers their vans vanguard (laughs) she's quite the beast Uh, and the built-ins and the money that they put into into their homes and and their spaces to make them more functional and to weather them through all the storms that may come you know from from that to having to find jobs and then be in constant contact with with others who who think differently and so you've got the polarity of politics but then you also have the polarity of life choices right just like this radical different way of living that feels so natural and honest and and that is something that made me question and feel confused and then be happy about kind of the insertion of amazon in this film and stacy you said capitalism boo unpack that for us. Let us know a little bit more about your nay.
0: Capitalism kept coming up for me, particularly with Amazon, which was fascinating, by the way, to see the inside of that beast, which is that one was supposed to be located in Fernley, Nevada. I don't know if either of you knew that.
2: (laughs) Oh, I was wondering. I was like, is that I see what you did there, Chloe.
0: So yeah, you have this industry that has crumbled. And then you, you see this industry that has not necessarily taken its place, but has filled up all the space that has now created for these displaced workers. So you have this really sterile environment, and I can think of a more symbolic image for capitalism other than Amazon.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And then their struggles with healthcare. It's unpacked a little more in Jessica Bruder's article in Harper's Magazine, which I read. I've not read the book, but I did read her article that inspired the book. The article, "The End of Retirement," and you go you get a more of a glimpse of what they have to go through just to get
2: healthcare if something happens. And I was wondering that like for prescriptions and stuff, you know, I was like, how do these people like do they pick up prescriptions and then like drive into the middle of the desert?
0: Yeah. And they often don't have insurance because of the way they're working. It's just the system. This capitalist system is designed to keep people in this position where they don't have access to healthcare often they don't have access to running water hookups for gray water the system just makes it it makes it really hard for them it puts them in this position first of all and then it sort of punishes them
1: well yeah it uses them when it it wants to and then it abandons when it when it has no need
0: absolutely the camp force the amazon's camp force is what it's called opens up during the holiday season for Amazon where they they get, I think, thousands of workers coming in and they target this demographic, older citizens, because those are the people that have lost so many of their investments. You know, these aren't people that have maybe necessarily been choosing this life all the way through. Though Chloe makes it very clear that everyone is coming from a different place here, you know, so. And I'm definitely speaking to the people who didn't necessarily have a choice and then they make this intentional you know but it just made me so sad because this is a a beautiful community a beautiful lifestyle if that's what you want to do and it's good for the environment it's beautiful on so many levels and our system does nothing to support it so it made me really sad and that feeds back into my yay where I'm watching this and there's moments of like oh I can't wait to go buy a van one day or buy a trailer right I've lived in a trailer for (laughs) a year when I was a child. That was like very different situation. It's very very romantic. Um so I like moved between that and just overwhelming sadness for these people who just deserve to be taken care of. And they're not asking for much. They don't need much. Like look at the rich life they're living on like five hundred dollars a month, if that, which is usually what their social security is is five hundred or less fucking capitalism
1: well and i think there's a through thread here that chloe expertly weaves the concept of stability and what that means to different people how stability can can shift and change and how adaptable we are and how one person's foundation is another person's closed box and we see this again and again and again i think i have like 15 Maybe instances listed of rocks, shifting stones as metaphor. That's developing a sense of place and repetition through rocks, 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 whether mountains or or a rock collection. Swanky has that great rock collection or tossing a rock into the fire in memory of someone. Rock ledges, rock formation tours with Dave. Okay. I mean, I could go on and on and on again about David Stratherin, who, as Dave is fabulous, uh, one of the very few legitimate actors. Even the turnips for the turnip sugar mill or whatever that was, they looked like rocks. Piano keys, rocks by the ocean, rocks in the desert. The large mountain range behind Fern's home and empire that she walks toward and into at the end of the film, as she remains in motion, as she continues to move forward, not just physically, but emotionally, her heart healing, her mind healing. We are getting to see all these different ways of approaching and establishing stability, even in the rituals that she creates for, for New Year's, even going back to Amazon, Christmas after Christmas after Christmas. I just i feel like I could unpack those images forever.
0: And those rituals become so important. I can imagine it's her form of stability. Exactly, you have to create some sense of normalcy and some sort of expectation for your life because that lifestyle is really difficult. You know, sometimes you're taken a number two in
1: a bucket. <laughs>
0: like and that someone is knocks just...
2: on your van door.
1: Wow, I'm indisposed. But still, that's her stability, and then. As one of you mentioned, she is essentially forced to return to her sister's house in order to get the funds she needs to get her her home back. And we reenter the stability that is primary for the rest of us, and that is money, and that is capitalism, and that is this grinding force that keeps us in homes and keeps our cars you know, parked without us in them most of the time. And so then you start thinking about if rocks are trying to point us to this concept of stability, this image of rocks. And we have capitalism rearing again and again and again in what Bob is saying, in in the pop-ups of of Amazon, in in the monetary realities of just having to live – Then what do we make of the dinosaur symbolism that creates a beautiful triplet? We have this gorgeous, this gorgeous action of threes for dinosaurs. We get the dinosaur comment when they go into the RV park and they're looking at these gorgeous RVs and RV- I love RV shows. PS. I love them. (laughs) And I believe Vern says it's like they're dinosaurs. And then we have her taking a picture in front of that huge dinosaur. Dave's taking her picture in like almost complete darkness. And then we've got the lighter at the end with the dinosaur stone.
2: The original nomads.
1: Ooh, Ooh I
2: like that. That is good.
0: I was going for like extinction. I uh, At first when I saw the dinosaurs, I wasn't even reading into symbolism because in that area, it's like dinosaur country. When we would go to Utah as kids. My family would always want to go to the different like not just go see dinosaur bones, but like different hotels that have like giant to scale dinosaurs out front. It's like a thing <laughs> in that area in the
2: Nevada, Utah area. It's an American road trip thing because there's yeah. one on the 101, <laughs> like on the Oregon, on the 101 down the coast. Mm-hmm. There is a huge like it looks exactly like the one that they take a photograph in front of. And I feel like I don't know. I felt that, Stacey, where it was just like. That's what you do in America. You drive on the interstate and you get off at like weird (laughs) attractions, like giant dinosaurs, because why wouldn't you? And there's nothing else to do. You go to like a Wizard of Oz museum in someone's house. That's not a Wizard of Oz museum. It's someone's house with like weird, you know, you do. That's like what you do in America. You go to weird pull-offs.
0: But especially in that area, they're everywhere. So I hadn't stopped to consider the symbolism and connecting that with rocks fossils that might be in those rocks.
1: Right. I did like your point about extinction though, Stacy, and the concept of extinction pops up in even the narrative storytelling and it's something our friend Stephanie pointed out. I recently spoke to her about about this film and she said that just as you get comfortable in one place, then you're on to another place. So it's like in the moment in the storytelling as soon as you get comfortable story-wise with with the environment, with the characters, you're on the road again. And I thought it was such a wise takeaway. What a wise observation. Uh, I hadn't caught on to that myself, but another form of extinction uh, is just time Mm -hmm. and how moments shift and how how we are always continuing to move forward, whether we're actually in motion or not.
0: That makes me think about something that Fern said, actually, as far as practicing goodbye or a series of goodbyes, the sort of lifestyle goodbyes are frequent and so it's always until next time it's until next see time you down the road see you down the road thank you Cassidy that's what it was but that made yep. me think about just the idea of practicing goodbye as like a human being that's something that resonates for me <laughs> because it's so hard to deal with loss you know and so I see this sort of lifestyle is sort of getting you hearty of like not getting attached to all these things around us that end up just being meaningless you know all the things that we think we need to be happy—that's just a false narrative of
1: probably capitalism. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it's—it's it's the practice of letting
2: go, or they've already had to let go, and they've like been bulldozed by like crazy trauma, and so it's just easier to live with little goodbyes all the time, mm-hmm. and like never let your guard down in a way again to getting that permanent.
1: What a prescription for mental healing. You know, we, we throw medication, and I am a huge advocate for medicating if you need medication. I'm into that. But there are alternatives for some people. And as we saw in this film, like from the one of the interviewees whose family passed away from cancer, back to back, and then bought paint because she takes me where I ain't, I think is what, mm-hmm. <laughs> what the rhyme is, and then left on a 20-year healing journey. Mm -hmm. And just slowly picks up the pieces as she moves forward. I think, you know, there are going to be so many divergent stories,
2: but that is inspiring to me, an alternative form of medication. It makes sense to me. Like, I can feel it, you know? I'm like, that makes sense if you've suffered, that this would be the medicine you'd need to, like, overcome that.
0: And these stories, like the hero's journey, is in our bones, You know, we understand (laughs) that. It is story. And we understand that as a way of, I think, understanding life. Yeah. You know, it's the journey of life. Everything is this journey. So it's just the perfect physical metaphor you can put yourself through if you do need a process. And I think Fern speaks to that when she's talking to Bob, I believe, towards the end of the movie, where she says, I feel like I'm wandering through my memories. Or she's worried that maybe she's just wandering through her memories. I took it as... A moment of questioning this lifestyle that she's living. And I think it was on the heels of choosing not to stay with David. Instead, moving through her past life. You know, the, the movie ends in Empire. So to me, that meant that Fern's decision to live this way is very much about her grief process that she needs to go through. And who knows how long that will be. Maybe it will be for the rest of her life. Maybe the fictional fern will finally go back to David in a year after processing, you know, her life in Empire with her husband. I don't know.
2: But that was heavy for me. For me, it was just part of her cycle again because she like goes back to Empire, you know, it like starts there. So I was like, oh, this is just her cycling through. Yeah, it didn't leave me with like a heavy feeling, though the whole film is heavy, which is weird, even with my nay. <laughs> how did you how did it leave you, Rochelle, that ending? Like, how did it strike you?
1: Well, I think a poignant piece that stuck out to me, I I thought it was before she spoke with Bob. I I cannot remember the order, but she re-encounters Derek, who is another nomad uh, who she originally met at the rock farm, I think. And he asked her for a cigarette, and then she gave him one and a lighter. And then they see each other again, and that's when he gives her the dino lighter, and he tells her about the letters that he's written to the girl that he cares for. And I found this to be the echo of what has happened between Dave and Fern. Dave is settled now, but she is still restless. And restless not in a negative connotation at all. That is she's got a vibration that she has to keep allowing to trill. She must keep moving. And that is exactly how Derek is. He doesn't think that anything he puts in these letters are of interest to this young woman that he cares for because she is settled and he is still vibrating. And at the end of the conversation with Bob, he tells Fern what's remembered lives. And I almost felt like he was giving her permission to not have to live day in, day out with her husband's death, with the demise of her city, of her town, of her empire. But to know and take comfort that just by them being remembered within her that they live on and she doesn't have to like tow this enormous line because she is to the line and she has already committed to towing it by living. And so that ended up being quite positive for me when she releases, you know, her hold on her storage unit. She gets rid of all of her belongings that she had been holding on to so much. The moment when Dave grabs the box and all of her father or I think it was her family's dishware that she had kept crashes to the ground. Like the second time I watched it, I had to fast forward through it. It was it's funny about those moments that just kind of like get to you too much like a knife to the heart. It's like, "Ah, Dave, walk away. Walk away now, Dave. Hurry. So. That, that's how it left me was just there's a bit more freedom there. And I'm so thankful that it didn't end on her walking out the door and into the mountains. But it ended with her behind the wheel driving forward.
0: I thought it was important to say that Swanky is still alive, everyone.
2: <laughs> and Linda May lives in her Earthship, I think. I want to see pictures. She no, she doesn't still? Well, as- She's still pursuing
0: it, I thought. Sh- I think she's still pursuing it. So according to the article by Jessica Bruder, the end of retirement, she had to change her location. So as of
2: that moment, she hadn't done it, but I think she's still pursuing it. A Vulture article came out on February 25th of this year. And- drumroll. She's developing it now off the grid. Awesome. Uh, In Taos, New Mexico. Such vivid individuals. So thankful for
1: their honesty. I think that how we impact one another in unique and meaningful ways is really like the whole point of life. And something that Dolly, the sister, said to Fern before Fern got out of Dodge, thank goodness. She said, you were braver and more honest than everybody else. And you could see me when I was hidden. Sometimes you could see me before I could see myself. You left a big hole by leaving. And I thought to myself, but she filled a huge hole within herself by leaving. Just so exciting to learn about alternative ways of, of finding yourself in this world that makes it seem like there's only one way. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a big takeaway for me. We had a lot of beautiful Shakespearean quotes uh, Sonnet 18 came up a couple times and quotes from Macbeth. We even had some Smith lyrics and I liked the idea that like with rocks and with dinosaurs, we carry forward what came before because what is remembered lives. And so we have to decide what we want to live on next. And that's why I love your nay Stacy, about capitalism. And I love our conversations about the choices related to political language and commentary in this film we have opportunities to make empathy what lives on and what's remembered and this story accomplishes that it puts it at the forefront
2: and i'm beyond delighted i'm having a revelation that's not a takeaway which is that they go to stargaze and the man that has the telescope is like look in your hand you have stardust in your hand what what is stardust from ladies Rocks. (laughs) Rock. Rocks.
1: <laughs> Good, I didn't even write that one down
2: Well, it just came full circle to me as you were talking, Rochelle I was like, oh my gosh, we are walking stardust Well, and We have rocks in our blood And the star of Vega is,
1: was X amount of years old And the light was just reaching them The light had mm-hmm. just turned on 1987 is when it left Gotta turn on those
0: lights What a wake-up call this film is that's definitely my takeaway it's similar to yours as well Rochelle is that it it challenged me to examine my truths my basic human truths and which ones were put there by society
2: mm-hmm.
0: you know and the moments where I felt sad for these people maybe that oh look at how hard their life is or they they weren't they were forced to make this decision I'm, I'm putting a lot of what society tells me is important because that's the world that I've that I exist in currently. so I'm so grateful for this reality check huge reality check to remember what is tr- actually true from me versus truth into me. ugh capitalism I just I just <laughs>
2: F words <laughs> yeah mine would be F capitalism Stacy and then. From a craft standpoint, I feel like that's always what my takeaways are from. They're like, man, let's talk about the craft for a second. But just this idea, I I think I always do this actually in my takeaways where I'm like stories from voices we haven't heard before. But this pushes that one level further, I think, where it's non-actors that are telling their real stories essentially. So it does feel like those connections you make in real life. And it does feel like it kind of pushes your own human envelope and growth just by like witnessing these people on screen and so i hope for the film industry and people who study film and love film just in general that the documentary narrative becomes more a part of just the main conversation in film too like how do we write more documentary narratives how do we use this craft more excessively and more frequently in this industry because and then I think about TikTok too it's like uh, people just like being kind of authentic because like who cares you know so they just do it and I feel like this is that same idea this film happens to be telling deep stories about people they're not so like slappy like TikTok can be but I mean I feel like TikTok's that same like human craving we're craving to connect and not even necessarily in a like let's chat online or like that sort of way but we're, we want to we want to connect on an empathetic level where we can just like feel the connection. So my takeaway is more of a wish. I hope the documentary narrative format comes to the forefront of filmmaking moving forward and non-actors become more of a common use because that's how you really get to know like your neighbors in America and who we are in our country or in other countries too.
1: Empathy as a vehicle just takes us back to the root of
2: all storytelling before it was even written down. Yeah, it's probably the most interesting film, for lack of a better word, that I've ever seen as far as like craft and depth goes. I haven't watched The Writer, which I am excited to see. And I can't believe she's working on a Marvel film mm-hmm. or is maybe finished with the Marvel film. Yeah, she's an enigma. She filmed is. this the year between. Yeah, she talks about that in some interviews, like going from like co- like looking at like Marvel costumes to then like mm-hmm. back on the road. I just like imagining her on a Marvel set because I don't know she's so inspiring she just like makes it seem possible you know mm-hmm. let me know when you two buy your van <laughs> I have a van and it has a mattress in the back and that's not a joke I'm gonna go buy one immediately <laughs> van life gotta got to hit the road now gotta hit and the road and then I just took a dump in a bucket in my van I'll do it I would yeah it's fine I mean I've done it for van life, oh, you have I haven't camping life, right? Like, I guess maybe it technically in had a the woods, seat. but never in a bucket. I guess it was like a commode. So you're saying you've gone in an outhouse? No, like it was a thing that we
0: had with us, so you could sit on it, like a porta potty. Mm. This is I, this is how we're ending it. So yeah, you, I know you, this is the
2: this is we're ending essentially, on such a high note.
0: It's a bucket with a toilet seat on it.
2: Okay. Yeah, I loved the se- the seven gallon bucket joke that the oh, yeah, woman that good. made. Mm-hmm. She's like, I'm in a Prius. <laughs> <laughs> my so I carry the small bucket. Oh my gosh.
1: I God. would worry
2: I'd tip over. Just like fall right over. And I- well, you don't go when you're, well, maybe some people have to go like on the road, but you'd probably like. No, no, no. I'm talking totally stationary.
1: <laughs> Not moving, still falling over. Nah. You would want the
2: shorter bucket then because you'd, you'd, you'd have, be like, able less to do it.
1: I need a actually better for us are... to squat.
2: I'm going seven gallon. <laughs>
0: no, I'm actually going the short one because we should be squatting. That's okay, like but that
2: is rough on the Not thighs. for me. I just basically like to be standing <laughs> in a seven-gallon <laughs> Will someone hold my hands? I'll hold your hand. I will. <laughs> we each will hold one, and we'll all make eye contact.
1: This has been a Quarantine Style Talking to Crows production. If you enjoyed this episode... Please like, follow, and honor us with that five-star rating.